Yes? Milady, I have had a revelation and wish to embark on a mission. Geralt, I'm warning you. The Hermit helped me come to an understanding. Tell me. Soon I will depart. I don't know if I'll find my grail, but I must. I shall not keep you. I do understand your sorrow, your solitude. If I can do anything... Cease treating me like a goddess. I have enough worshippers. I lack one who sees me as other than the object of a cult. Milady, simple folk, they don't understand. I judge them not. But let's return to your desire to help. Begin by paying me a compliment. Hmm. I'm no good at this. Milady, your wisdom is inferior only to your goodness. Enough. I choose not to believe you don't find me attractive. Rather, I blame your famous scruples. Milady, your eyes are like stars glimmering in the night sky. Distant and cold. Weak, Witcher. Your ass puts others to shame. <laughs> None has ever paid me such a compliment. My brave knights only praise my soul, though I knew where their eyes fixated. Regardless, Geralt, must I tell you my desire, or can you divine it? There are RPGs long forgotten beyond that which is known to the modern gamer. It is a catalog vast as space and timeless as myth and legends. It is the middle ground where panelists from RP Gamer discuss computer and console RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. This is a dimension of adventure beyond your imagination. This is the RPG Backtrack. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Philip Willis and Mike Meeky. Welcome to RPG Backtrack number 35. This is our monthly roundup episode. On today's podcast, we're going to be doing our um, our blast from the recent past and PC pit stop. We'll be talking about my world, my way, Dragon Quest, Hand of the Heavenly Bride, Puzzle Quest Galatrix, Blue Dragon Plus, Legacy of Ease, Book One and Two, and Drake is saying the Dark Eye. And then on our PC Pit Stop, we're going to be talking about The Witcher. So hang on tight, because we're in for a bumpy ride. Today on the, tonight on Blast from the Recent Past, I guess it's tonight because it's pretty darn late over here, uh, <laughs> we've got six games that I can only categorize. Most of these are, we have basically, I 
what I'm probably going to say is five mediocre games. Maybe you guys will prove me wrong. And one standout. We've, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we have My World, My Way, Dragon Quest, Hand of the Heavenly Bride, Puzzle Quest Galactrix, Blue Dragon Plus, Legacy of Ease Book 1 and 2, and Dragon Saint of the Dark Eye. So, well, as, as long as you're saying that Dragon Quest V is the standout, then you shall continue to live this day. <laughs> and that voice that you hear is my good friend from the RP Gamer staff, Mr. Roy Burnett. How are you doing this evening? I'm fine. And back, welcome back to RP's Backtrack, Mr. Tom Goldman. How are you doing? Or is it Goodman? Goodman? Goldman? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. All right, he's good. I don't know my own name. Since you're so good, let's talk about this game that you have personally played, I understand. My World, My Way for the Nintendo DS. This was published by Atlas, developed by Global A Entertainment, released in North America on February 3rd, 2009. Uh, this is a single-player RPG rated E for everybody. What did you well, Talk to us a little bit about My World, My Way, Tom. Uh, yeah, that was the first game I... Reviewed for RP Gamer. Wow, I didn't know that. The the first time um, I got sent, you know, a free game. Well, I'm allowed to to reveal these secret things that happen. Sure. I was sent a, you know, the free game, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is so cool. And but uh, then I started to play the game, and um, (laughs) it sort of didn't meet my expectations. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing with me, Tom. <laughs> the first game I reviewed was Castlevania uh, Order of Ecclesia, which was a good game, but I had bought it myself. The first uh, review copy game I got, actually, almost every review copy game I've got is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, back when you started reviewing games, and they weren't that great. No. <laughs> were doing. But no. Um, My World, My Way, it has an interesting concept, and I think the concept... And uh, the humor about it is the best part. You play as Princess Elise, and uh, she has it all. She has everything except for a handsome boyfriend. So she leaves her um, the safety of her uh, castle and goes off to become an adventurer because um, uh, she... Uh, she meets uh, it's like she meets an adventurer that she's following and she wants to become an adventurer because so he'll become her boyfriend something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. uh, so she goes out into the world and um, the world it's not like you you don't run around like you would in like third person view it's just sort of a grid and everything is made of its own unique terrain you go to uh, separate areas so, like, the first area might be made of, uh, like, a grassland, maybe with a couple squares of forest. And in each area, there are different monsters, different um, items that they'll drop, things you might find. And you have to meet specific expectations to make it through to the next area, like kill ten pumpkins or whatever. And it, it sounds, you know, like it could be... So- oh, you can also change the terrain. I'll, I'll go into that in a second, but... So, the big problem is that it's just incredibly boring, um, that the battle system, like, it's basically, I think I, in my review, I wrote that you just press A over and over. Yeah, I said that you push it hundreds of times in a tedious manner, because that's literally all you do. You just attack these enemies, and they fall over, and then you find some more. Like, there's basically no strategy to battles. Hmm. 
Really? Because um, with all those different options you just talked about, I mean, they don't right. really come into play or something? Right, like, uh, you know, changing terrain and all this, it's just it's just too simple. And I think it seems like it was made for maybe kids mm. to me, mm-hmm. and which is fine, um, but it just didn't really grab me personally because of how boring. And then later it just gets really hard. Um, but the the other the funny part about it is the dialogue. It's got really funny, you know, like uh, it breaks the fourth wall, as they say. And Elise will, you know, say, "Oh, I have to fight you again," and blah blah blah. It's like I don't want to fight a dragon, or she'll like she'll make a little quip or a remark, and she's pretty she's pretty silly. The writing is not bad. Um, the uh, the most interesting part is you get these pout points, and they're used to say make all the enemies weaker on the field uh, because you know Elise is pouting and she get she always gets her way. Well, um, she's the princess; she should get her way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she can, and what you can do is you can actually compile uh compile a big group of pout points and you can just freeze the enemy during a battle mm-hmm. and you can just win so so it's really no challenge to most of the game I had a lot of trouble at the end the uh, the final fight it took me a while to beat that dungeon I had to go around and grind for a little bit but I did finally beat it I, fi- I figured out a strategy um, and you get a little slime friend that um, takes on the uh, the characteristics of at certain enemies, like if you fight, you know, a, a, phys- a strong physical enemy, it might get a, a strong physical characteristic, mm-hmm. and that's cool. But like I said, overall, it's I found it to be pretty shallow. And you know, Aside. I I talked with a friend who had played uh, this game, and he pretty much echoed a lot of your sentiments. He really enjoyed uh, the humor in the game, as you said. It kind of breaks down it breaks down the fourth wall in the way that she talks uh, with conventional RPG terms, as if she knows there's an audience listening and stuff like that. And it's actually done with some decent effect. He said that he uh, uh, laughed out loud on quite a few occasions. But with that being said, unfortunately, the gameplay really didn't match up, and it also bored him. I don't think he got as far as you did. Um, I think he got bored and quit before then. <laughs> and that's the yeah. thing. <laughs> that's the thing about doing games at RP Gamer. We have to go through them all. <laughs> yeah, and, and I can... I mean, I, I know why they might not want it to have made, you know, something like a deeper, like a sim. But, you know, because maybe it was for kids, but I think it could have been a, a much better game. And, and it was. They did have a, a remake from Raider Stand on the PSP in Japan. Uh, hasn't been released here. I guess right. w- whether or not we'd probably want to see that here depends on how they remade it. If they, you know, added some more challenge or maybe add some more depth to some of those mechanics you were describing, that it might be worth a look if they ever did release it here. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I mean, probably. They, have to, they have to change it pretty significantly. It looks like that a lot of the uh, critics re- uh, agreed with you as well. Uh, it received an average of 65% on Metacritic. You gave it a 2.5, which is pretty much you know a 65 you know percent since they kind of review a little bit higher. Um, so it seems like a lot of people were in agreement with you on it. Sounds like something that people pretty much want to pass. Yeah, I'm glad I played it mm-hmm. uh, for free. Mm-hmm. But if I had bought it, I would have been pretty upset. 
<laughs> well, let's see here. Let's see. Can we get that game for free? <laughs> or pretty close to it. My world. My I think it's way. hard to get. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. This is uh, writing about 30, 30 bucks on Half.com. Holy cow, is it worth 30 bucks, Tom? <laughs> Do I need to ask? I mean, as, a, as if you're a collector of DS games, then I guess so. But as, as you know, if you're trying to buy a fun game, I don't know. It might be worth just playing just because of its unique aspects, but don't expect deep gameplay. Well, speaking of not expecting deep gameplay, our next our next game on the list here is Blue Dragon Plus. Uh, this was developed by Mistwalker. Uh, it says Free Field Plus. I don't remember them. Anywho, uh, published by Ignition Entertainment here in uh, North America on the Nintendo DS on February 19, 2009. This is a tactical RPG experience rated E for everybody. Um, this, this was that one that was kind of like RTS type thing, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had a little bit of had a little bit of that going on there. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I don't think any of you guys have actually played this guy, right? No, I haven't played it because it didn't look that good at all. The original Blue Dragon on the 360 wasn't that good. Yeah. And an RTS version of it on a handheld, I seriously doubt would have been that much better. I mean, everything I've seen about Blue Dragon, I don't have a 360, and that's pretty much where Blue Dragon really got its start, from what I understand, at least here in America. Um, but everything that I've seen and keeping up with the news and the reviews uh, makes it seem like a very traditional JRPG experience, which is all of our uh, all of our dedicated RPG backtracked audience knows I'm not a huge fan of traditional JRPG experiences if they don't have some sort of innovation involved in the battle mechanics. Um, um. Blue Dragon is a very traditional JRPG, and it's not a very good one at that. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, this is this is pretty much true from what I understand. Um, Blue Dragon Plus was a was as you just said a, a tactical or uh, strategic uh, RPG experience take on the DS, and it was reviewed by Ethan Piper back in the day. And this must have been, I think, I must have, must have been coming on right on that, huh? Hmm. Um. I forget what it's called uh, Blue Dragon Something Shadow for the DS was actually was better than the original Blue Dragon on the 360 still wasn't a great game but it was still it was better than the other two so unfortunately you know um uh, from what I read on Ethan's review and whatnot, he, he you know he applauded that the, there was uh, deep customization for the cast of characters, and it had a, an addicting, player-driven pacing to it. Um, he he liked the soundtrack. Um, he felt that the grid-based setup was totally unnecessary, though. Um, the ally pathfinding when you're walking around is just you know horrendous, and he goes into detail in his review. And uh, that aiming spells is somewhat a crapshoot, and I believe that's because of the um, uh, the stylus controls, I believe. Um, but re- maybe I'm wrong on that one. But he said it took about uh, 20 hours to get through the the main story, but it wasn't something he he probably wouldn't do again. It, it, he never really loved it. He never really got bored of it either. It's, in his in his eyesight, it was pretty much. Um, it was so-so. Uh, a good game, not great, I guess. Maybe maybe not 
good is the right word, but from reading his review. But he did give it a 3.0, which we consider to be good at RP Gamer. Essentially, if you're a huge fan of, of Blue Dragon Plus and you can see past some of those faults, you'll probably get a pretty good entertainment experience out of it. But if you're not a fan of the series, um, there's probably better um, SRPGs out there. So take that one with a grain of salt. Read our review at RPGamer.com. Do a quick search for Blue Dragon Plus and you'll find Ethan Piper's review pops right up on there. So let's talk about a game that hopefully some of you have played. I know I have played it. Puzzle Quest Galatrix. Any of you guys play this guy? Yes, I have played Puzzle Quest Galatrix. Galatrix. And, and you know, Galatrix was very interesting because I, I, I enjoyed the original Puzzle Quest and when I heard Galatrix was coming out it was going to have a sci-fi theme. I was very excited. I read a lot of the previews on it as they were working on it. It looked real shiny and pretty too because it had a futuristic sci-fi theme which is always... And then you realize when it came out that it sucked. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then it came out and I think every reviewer underneath the sun that you know played through it really wasn't it seemed like they really weren't super too happy about it. The first round of reviews were, uh, cons- uh, from what I remember reading, they were pretty darn bad, especially if you were keeping an eye on the PC version. Um, later on, uh, some of the later reviews were better, and like if you look at the Xbox uh, Arcade, it was a full um, eight points higher than the PC version. Um, and I think there were some issues. There were some bugs in the early releases, but it had a few issues. Um, well, and- I remember, I, I remember the what happened. They originally pushed me off. Was uh, I originally bought the DS version of it? Oh, and um, the DS version, it the touchscreen on the DS version just didn't work at all. No, that's absolutely right. The the DS was uh, the DS version was criticized for some of its uh, bugs and and touchscreen issues. No, you're you're absolutely right on that. <coughs> Excuse me. The uh, so in, in Puzzle Quest, there's a story, but no one really cares what it is. It's mo- Puzzle Quest games uh, go- uh, have always been about getting your character out there, grinding them up through uh, combat, which is involves matching up gems, very much like Bejeweled. Uh, Galatrix throws a monkey in the ridge, so to speak, by using a hexagon-based system rather than the traditional. Um, grid, tile-based, square-based, whatever you want to call it, system that you find in standard games of Bejeweled and whatnot. Just like in the original Puzzle Quest, as you uh, match up gems, you can save up power for special attacks. You can also line up certain gems that will do damage to your enemies and reduce their hit points directly. Um, there was other additional mechanics, such as being able to um, buy a ship, right, Roy? You could buy a ship and upgrade it. Yeah, um, I think the major number one complaint uh, from all that game, disregarding the bugs, was um, one of the major features of the game was you had to um, to get to new areas. You had to solve, you had to do these time puzzles at the warp gates. Yeah, in, in order to make the ships go through it to get to new areas, and that's all well and good, except for the fact that you have to do it for every single time you want to use a warp gate, even if it's through an area you've already been to. So, like, if, if you want to go, if you if you need to backtrack, if you're in the middle of a quest and need to backtrack to an area you've already been to, you have to unlock the warp gate again. Now, that might and, have been... And, and it was a very annoying minigame, too. If It was one thing, if you only had to do it once and the warp gate stayed open, it probably wouldn't bother people that much, but since you had to do it very every single time, it got on people's nerves. That might have been just the DS version, because on the PC version, those those evil little hack gate thingies 
would generally stay open, though it was always possible they could close again. But it wasn't like every time you backtracked uh, that you had to deal with them again. But maybe that was the DS version. Maybe you had to do that. Yeah, I remember the DS version. I remember I had to do it every single time, and I only I didn't play it too long on the DS version because it just annoyed me. I, I did play it on the PC, and I like the PC version a lot better. Yeah, no, no, that see, I think that's what it is, Roy. I think the the PC version, and that's the one I played, and I generally en- enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it as much as the original Puzzle Quest. Um, but I certainly didn't think it was as bad as the first slew of reviews I read, and I can't remember if it came out on the DS first, but I just remember those first round of reviews were, were pretty bad. Now, Puzzle Quest Galactrix, um, as you mentioned, uh, with the hacking of the leap gates and whatnot, it basically has about a half a dozen different types of puzzles. I mean, you got your traditional combat where you're going against a computer opponent, you're matching up gems to save up power for your weapons so that you can attack them, very much like saving up power for your spells in the original Puzzle Quest. You could um, you also had this hacking uh, leap gate dealy, which um, I think, like you were saying, there um, there it was about matching up uh, a bunch of tiles, and there was a time limit. And depending on how hard that gate was, your time limit could be pretty short. And you, I, I can't even imagine how you do that with the touchscreen controls. Oops, I hit the wrong thing. I just lost some time. Um, that would have just been maddening. You also had mining. If you want to earn some extra money, you could um, you could do mining where you would try to match up just the mine uh, the mine blocks or whatever have you. There was a, a crafting mini game, um, a haggling mini game, and a gathering rumors mini game. And each one of these kind of played a little bit different, and some of them were more fun than others. Uh, at, you know, so I, I overall I, I pretty much enjoyed it. I did a lot of mining. And I wasn't super happy about the mining minigame, but I liked getting lots of free stuff, too. So uh, that's why I did it. Um, so overall, I, I think I picked it up on Steam for like 5 bucks. I don't regret it because I got at least 5 bucks worth of time out of it. Um, if you see it on the cheap um, on the, the PC or the Xbox version, it looks pretty decent because it's getting decent reviews. Uh, then feel free to go ahead and pick that guy up. But I think, as you just heard from Roy, Roy, I don't think you want people to pick that up on the DS, huh? Oh, avoid it like the plague. <laughs> so, it, it, did it force the touchscreen controls, too? Um, yeah, it did. And, <laughs> um, well, the main problem, what would happen was, is that um, you would touch the touchscreen, and it either just wouldn't respond at all, or it would... It would you touch one part and it would think you were touching the area above where you just touched. Oh nice. Broken touchscreen controls even better. <laughs> yeah, so it would e- it would either be broken or it wouldn't work at all. Wow. Whew. So that's Puzzle Quest uh Puzzle Quest Galatrix. Um let's move on. Our next game on our list today is Ease 1 and 2. Um now I believe this is kind of a remake slash re release or something along those lines. Um uh, and this was uh, released on the Nintendo DS on February 24, 2009. I also believe that maybe the original version was released on the Virtual Console, because I got a note here that it was done so on August 25, 2008. Um, this is a single-player RPG, more of an action RPG almost in a manner of speaking, uh, rated E for everybody. Have any of you have the profound joy of playing E's? I don't think you have. Have you, Roy? I, I just told you like 20 minutes ago that I paid it, played it for like 10 minutes. Oh, the 10 minutes. So tell us about your... I know, I have a short-term memory, Roy. Tell us about your 10-minute experience. Um, 
I I played the first ease on the cartridge. I never played the second one. Um, I played the first one for about ten minutes, and I got into the combat system. And the first one doesn't have the traditional action system. It has it where you're ramming the people with your sword. And uh, I I played it. I got my ass kicked, and I <laughs> I, I didn't like it. <laughs> So I stopped. <laughs> Ease one, you begin with uh, as uh, adult Christian, uh, a young redneck swordsman who reaches the land of hysteria or something, rather. Uh, he finds a mysterious woman, a prophecy, and an explicable compulsion to do whatever perfect strangers tell him to do, essentially. Just, the plot in, in Ease games has never really been very deep, and uh, Ease one, I guess, is the one that started the trend of... of Less uh, of of pretty shallow stories. Um, you don't play well, ease. The, 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 the first one did come out like around the same time as the original Final Fantasy, though. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's kind of understandable. Anyways, but the what the thing about ease has always been uh, really it, its gameplay. Ease has had this gameplay where uh, the first ease, especially, you just pretty much. Uh, you know, most RPGs, you walk around and you go into a combat, you know, when you get into a fight, the screen changes, you you pick attack or heal or use item, and this takes, you know, two minutes and whatnot. No, in Ease, you just run. Literally, take your character and run into them. In Zelda, you have to press a button to swing the sword. In Ease, forget that garbage. You literally just take your character and run right into them. You take damage, the monster takes damage. Um, in later Ease games, your positioning would uh, impact how much damage you take or do and whatever have you, and it would get a little bit more complicated. But the first ones were pretty darn simple, um, you know, running into things. Um, now, um, and I'm kind of reading some notes here from 7th. Glenn, uh, Glenn Wilson, our very own 7th Circle, reviewed this for RP Gamer and gave it an overall score of 3 out of 5. And he mentions uh, regarding the combat that for those who despise tradition or hate things that are different, uh, one of the things about the DS remake is that an alternative control scheme is available to turn ease gameplay to something more Zelda-like, toggling off the stylus control, because I guess in the DS version you actually move your character around by uh, using the stylus and dragging around, which from what I understand works for the most part. It's a little hit or miss, but for the most part it gets the job done. But if you turn that off, um, then you'll move um, Adel around with the D-pad, and this also disables the sprint into enemies for the win mechanic, giving the player an attack button and forcing him to manual swing uh, Adel's sword for damage. Um, Seven said that he enjoyed both control options, that's fine, they both get the job done, and it's refreshing to have two very different ways uh, to play the game. Um, he said that when Adel is much stronger than the enemies around him, it's best just to use the stylus control because you can pretty much just go around and kill things just by running all over him really fast, and that kind of gets the job done faster. But for the most part, he enjoyed using um, both of them. Um, he said uh, that the combat in the second Ease game of this remake uh, makes uh, one final twist with the addition of magic. Adol gains various magical spells in the sequel, most notably the ability to shoot large fireballs across the screen. Uh, fireballs do more damage than the fi uh, sword attacks and naturally can annihilate foes well before they get into headbutton range. Uh, so this adds a, another layer of depth to, to the game. Um, you know, he, he said that he enjoyed the fast-paced gameplay. It's refreshing after playing, you know, of course... Also, RP gamers are used to slower style gameplay for the most part, and he enjoyed the localization interface. Um, but he felt that in some of the games, especially the first one, there was too much backtracking, and he felt that 
you, in order to progress the plot at times, you had to do some obtuse actions, which I'm going to take a shot in the dark and guess means you had to find out which person to talk to or which item to find or whatnot. This might be one of those games you kind of need an FAQ to get through. Um, the uh, with I don't know about the second one, but I do know the the first game. The localization really isn't that much of an issue because it's like the first Final Fantasy. There really isn't that much to localize. <laughs> it has almost no dialogue in it. So. <laughs> well, this is probably true. Um, for it's re- originally released in '87, I believe. Mm-hmm. And for the DS remake, they did redo the graphics in 3D, a la you know a lot of the Dragon Quest remakes or whatever have you. So. Um, he pretty much enjoyed the visuals if you're worried about that in doing this remake or whatnot. Now, Ease has been getting a lot of attention lately with the PSP release of Ease 7, and I believe, what is it, Ease 5 that was recently released? There's something, I think it was a Oats of Flaglier or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure somebody will correct me on this on the forums or whatnot, but I mean, I know Ease 7 for a fact came came out not that long ago because I got the cartridge for that one. I just haven't had a chance to play it, but Mac really enjoyed it, and I think another one just came out, and I want to say it's a remake of 5 or something like that, and that's been doing really well. And so Ease has really been popping up, so if, you, you know, if you're looking to go back to its roots and its history, it, it seems like the remake's a good way to do that. Just understand that there's going to be some limitations of what you're getting to, because at the end of the day, as you just mentioned, Roy, this is based off of a, of a first-generation NES game. You're not going to get a ton of death, and you are going to run into some of the um, issues that come with any archaic first-generation NES game, even so if it is a remake. Words, if you want to play an old action game from the NES, knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. Um, but um, but I, I will heavily recommend that if you want to play an old NES action game, you're much better off going playing the original Zelda. Well, this this is probably true. And if you're looking to grab that guy on Half.com, uh, Ease, uh, Legacy of Ease Book 1 and 2 uh, on the DS is going for about $15 plus shipping. So keep that in mind. Whew, well, we're over halfway there now. Just two more games. The next one on the list is Drake and Say the Dark Eye. This was publi- or this was developed by Radon Labs, published by THQ here in North America. Um, this was released... Um, holy cow, there's like 15 release dates here. February 24, 2009 sounds about the closest one that I remember because I actually got this game. Um, I actually did an impression for RP Gamer of this game. Uh, this is a single-player computer role-playing experience rated T for Teen. And um, uh, who wants to start? You want me to set the setting or do one of y'all remember the setting to this game? Oh, I remember it. It is a... Uh, it is cliche fi- uh, f- fantasy western fantasy world to the utmost max and uh, <laughs> I, I remember this game it is a uh, if people thought Dragon Age was long because it had a lot of dialogue choices and whatnot, and Dragon Age was just a long game this game this game takes 80 hours to complete without doing everything it is possibly one of the most long-winded games ever, and it is very, very, very boring. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, and, oh, I'm sorry. And uh, unless you are one of the very few people in the in, outside of Germany that have actually played the Dragon Sang uh, pen and paper game, you will not have any clue as to what the rules are, because the game doesn't explain them whatsoever. And almost no one has played that game outside of Germany. Yeah, there is a rather thick instruction book 
I got it as a PDF when I did the impression for the game. And you do have to spend time with it to understand what the heck you're doing. Tom, did, did you play this guy? I played a few hours, I'd say. And uh, what was your initial impression? Um, well, ever since uh, I finished Bowder's Gate 2, the expansion pack, mm-hmm. sort of been looking for another experience on the same level. Mm. And I hoped that Drakensang might be it. But it really, uh, like Roy said, I don't know, I just found it to be a little bit boring. And like, there's like a ton of dialogue and, I don't know, not particularly interesting to me. Not that it's a bad game. It just, maybe I wasn't looking for that at the time. I mean, you start it up and there's like a ton of classes you can choose. Like an absolute ton. Like, Oh, yeah. I don't know, maybe the most out of anything I can remember at this exact moment. But, um, I don't know, I just, I don't know, combat wasn't that interesting to me, and it just didn't pull me in. I don't want to bash it too much, because I, I wouldn't say it's it's bad. But Wait. it's just, it's, uh, I got um, distracted by another game. <laughs> which, is, which, which is weird, because, I, I you know, I love the Baldur's Gate-style game. You know, it, 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 you know, I get distracted by games all the time, and that's probably the biggest reason why I never finish them. Would and I got about ten hours in, but let me ask you guys: Is your opinion? You, you know, so, sometimes we talk about the difference between low fantasy and high fantasy. Um, and for those people who aren't familiar with those terms, you know, high fantasy is your kind of your Lord of the Rings, where there's usually a clear defining line between what's good and what's evil. And usually, these games have lots of magic and, and whatever have you, whereas the game that we're going to talk about later on, The Witcher, is more of a low fantasy game where the the lines of morality are more blurred. And those games are, uh, those even though it's not directly tied into morality, um, those games generally don't have a lot of, oh, you know, really powerful magic. You don't see a ton of dragons flying all over the place and whatever have you. They'll have different races and stuff, but they're made to feel more down to earth, so magic um, is a little bit less flashy and less commonplace and whatnot. Did you feel that this game was high fantasy or low fantasy? This game is high fantasy all the way. You think so? Oh yeah, that the, the, this game, the world that it's set in, is about as fantasy, high fantasy, cliche as you can get, down to the wizards having long beards and pointy hats. <laughs> hmm. And 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 so uh, you know, I'll tell you from from my point of view. Um, because uh, I I come from a lot of pen and papering and whatever have you yet absolutely Drenkin saying is a callback I wouldn't say unfortunately to Baldur's Gate 2 uh, more like to even older kind of um, computer games that were based on pen and paper games um, it's very much steeped in as you mentioned before into the um, into the um, and I forget the name of it but it's a German pen and paper RPG. Drakensang. Drake Oh, that is the name. <laughs> well, that's a good name for it. Um, yeah, it's very much steeped in this, and the funny thing is, I mean, I've grown up with the whole D&D system, and I'm so used to jumping into games like Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights without too much of a learning curve, so when I got Drakensang and I started playing it, I realized, oh, quickly, I was going to have to relearn some things from the ground up, and there's a few parallels, but there's a lot of differences. So, it... it you know that's the first that's the first huge obstacle and then when you get into it as you were kind of saying before i think that the story does come across a, a bit on the dry side 
And for lack of a better analogy, I actually feel like it's a lot of the pen and paper, some of the pen and paper adventures I played that were just incredibly, you know, kind of cheesy, be right, a bit on the dry side, you know, whatever have you. Things that really weren't written by novel writers. Uh, and I think there's definitely a contrast between the, the quality of storytelling that you see in Baldur's Gate uh, and The Witcher versus, you know, something like Dragonsang. It's very, Dragonsang is definitely very much on the dry side. The the the, the fun you get in Dragonsang, if you do get the fun in Dragonsang, is is the ability to make your, uh, you're, you're making your own character. You do get to pick up party members who you can, uh, as they level up, you can customize them a lot. Um, and, you know, using those characters in the battle and whatnot. But what makes it kind of tough is the battle systems isn't familiar. Very few people can really jump into it and enjoy it. It seems like one of those games that when I talk to people about it who played uh, a, a lot of hours into it, they either love or hate. And it usually has to do with the fact that you've got that steep learning curve and the story is dry. You're really going to get the most out of this game if you're not so big on the story, but you're more about you know character development. And when I say character development, I don't mean in the story. I mean you're more into the pen and paper, min and maxing, learning an RPG system inside out by reading these thick instruction books and then using your noggin to figure out how you can you know, get the most and make your character something in that world based on that rule set. If you're one of those kind of people, and that's a definitely a very niche market, <laughs> then you're going to get some enjoyment out of this game. Um, otherwise, I think pretty much like you two have echoed, I, I think you're probably better on focusing, especially if you haven't played some of the more excellent games out there like Baldur's Gate, Knights of the Old Republic, Dragon Age Origins. Those are games that have a lot of similar qualities and flexibility in how you make your character, um, but give you better narrative choices, definitely better dialogue, and much and definitely better plots. So, yeah, uh, I, I would say for all those out there, if you're considering this game and you want a similar experience to this game, do yourself a favor and go with Dragon Age. It is by far the better game. Not a, there's no comparison. Yeah, and just to read some highlights, uh, Victor uh, Balbane, um, Balbian or whatever his name is, I slaughter everybody's name, um, at RP Gamer, um, Kiro, back in the day, uh, wrote a review for Dragon Saint. Now, he gave it a 3.5 out of 5, which is pretty good. Um, his highlights were that you know he felt that, that there was an extremely complex customization system, which we've, we've been talking about. He gives that a plus. I think some people will give that a negative. Um, just depends on what kind of gamer you are. Uh, he liked the attractive and detailed world, which that's true. As you run around, there's, there's definitely some detail in how the world works. Uh, seemingly endless supply of quests is a plus. As a negative, he says the fairly high learning curve, uh, every fantasy stereotype underneath the sun, and combat pace grinds to a halt in the late game. And that is another uh, you know thing that I get. The, the, if you play it too long, I think the end game is really kind of uh, slows down really quick So because of how complicated the battle system gets and how hard the battles get. So kind of keep that in mind. Interestingly enough, I believe they've released a prequel for this on Impulse. Um, and I don't know if it's coming to Steam or not. So maybe we'll be taking a look at that RP Gamer soon. That would be pretty darn interesting. Did you have any final thoughts on uh, Sing before we leave, Tom? Uh, yeah, uh, continuing on what you were saying before, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of these RPG open, you know, open world RPG makers that just put a ton of content in there sort of confuse um, adding a lot of content with being able to uh, display it to the player in a proper sequence. Um, I don't, I'm not trying to be confusing, but you know, Baldur's Gate starts off. Um, I don't mean to give away spoilers, but it's kind of an old game. Um, Baldur's Gate starts off. You're in, you know, uh, Candle Keep. 
mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you have to leave, and your your uh, your mentor is attacked and killed, and then you're off on your own, and it 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 keeps uh, the story keeps in- injecting these you know surprises, and it, and it carries you along the way. And meanwhile, you're also doing these side quests and exploring all the content everything has to offer. Same deal with the second one. You know, you start in in a, a prison with this creepy jailer. You have no clue what his deal is. Whereas in Dragon saying, okay, you start in a town and you talk to some lady and she wants you to get her brooch and then you go off into a forest. It's like, okay, um, that's not very interesting. So, I, yeah. No, that's a good point. So, uh, yeah, because, yeah, I, I agree with you, actually, because I got far enough to see that. No, you're exactly right. Baldur's, Baldur's Gate and better made um, RPGs, um, there is a main quest and you always know where you can go nest, next to, to keep the narrative pushing forward, and these other side quests are just that. They're side quests, and they're things that you can do on the side to either further enhance the story or enhance your character or whatever have you. And Drake is saying, you're right, you kind of feel like you're really thrust into the world, not given a ton of direction. Um, that will appeal to some players, but I believe that for the majority of players out there, just being thrust out there without a clear indication of where to go next, um, especially... Like you said, there's not really a, a great way in Dragon Saying. I don't think they don't do a great job of organizing some of this stuff sometimes, and you kind of get overwhelmed, and it can get frustrating. Yeah, and they also just don't make the main quest like interesting enough as they they should. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. or as it's done in other games. Yeah, it, it, you know, whereas Witcher, you know, we're going to talk about Witcher later on, but you know, whereas Witcher. It was focused more on the story because it's written by, uh, you know, a novelist who's, you know, the stories are really well written and stuff like that. Um, Drake is saying is based off of a pen and paper RPG system, not a well written story. Um, people write modules and stuff for Drake is saying like they do for D and D, but most of the people who write those things are not, n- not you know, professional novel writers, and unfortunately, it kind of shows. In the overall plot of Dragon Saying, it's extremely cliche. It's dry, and it's it's nothing that's going to get you um, excited. Um, I do have several friends who are just really into the open world thing, and they don't really care about the narrative, and they just like to make a character and go out there and see what the heck they can do. And maybe Dragon Saying is for them, especially if they're into complicated character creation systems that they need to take a few hours to learn. <laughs> but outside of that particular little. You know, niche. I, I think I would stick. Uh, I would probably give this one a, a pass for now. All righty. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for for your insight on Drake and saying we've well, got. Um, th- th- there was uh, one thing that was interesting of note is that supposedly sure. the uh, the prequel one that you mentioned supposedly uh-huh. does uh, include a good tutorial for it, though. Oh, thank goodness. Um, and um, yeah, I'm gonna be interested. You know, I'm gonna be interested in seeing how the uh, the prequel does because I actually I, I'm a pen and paper guy I mean I grew up on the pen and paper you know stuff myself and I do like those systems and Roy and I are playing some pen and paper actually on on some of the weekends um, and I and I love those mechanics underneath and I like learning a new system but we'll see how well uh, Dragon Say the River Times does it's nice that they that they that they address the issue of the complicated system and easing players into it not forcing them to read a 100-page instruction book to get the most out of the game. Let's see uh, when some of the reviews come out if they actually address the issue with the uh, narrative and the overwhelming number of quests and maybe being a little too open-ended for its own good. 
So, hey, if any of y'all have played Dragonsync, we would love to hear your thoughts. As always, you can you can leave your comments on the boards or email me an MP3 file or call me up on Skype and I'll record a conversation with you and you can get your thoughts in on Dragonsync. Do you have a different take on this game or any of the games we've talked about? Let us know at rpgamer.com or email me at jcservantrpgamer.com. Look me up at Skype at jcservant and then the number seven. Whew. But with that being said, We've got one guest. We've say we, we got one game left, and I believe I have saved the best for last. Dragon Quest V: Hand of the Heavenly Bride. This is uh, this is made by Square Enix. On the this is a re, the re, we're talking about the remake today that came out on the DS here in the uh, United States on February seventeenth, two thousand and nine. This is a console RPG experience for your Nintendo DS single player, rated mm, E ten. I guess that means I can't play a drat. <sighs> Anywho, Dragon Quest V. Let's talk You'll about. You'll turn ten someday. I will. I I can't wait. I'm so excited. So, <laughs> so who's played Dragon Quest V? You know, I actually beat this one a few months ago. Did you? How about you, Tom? Did you get a chance to play this one? Yes, I have. Woohoo! All right. Who wants to start it off? I can, if you like. All right. Why don't you tell us? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Tell us. Uh, start first by telling us a bit about the the story and the plot of Dragon Quest V. And if you throw out a couple of spoilers, that's okay. That's RPG backtrack for you. Okay. Um, Dragon Quest V is the second in the Zenithia trilogy, which um, are include Dragon Quest four, five, and six. Um, each game involves a dragon, a floating castle. And a set of basically heroes' equipment that um, you know the chosen one will eventually find, equip himself with, and then destroy the big evil. Does that sound about right? Yep. <laughs> right. Yep, that sounds right to me. Yeah. Um, excuse me. I said the cough. Um, so. Uh, so each game handles that a little bit differently, though. Uh, four um, follows of different viewpoints of different types of heroes, and then they converge. Five follows a single family line, and um, so you know the beginning. You're shown, and you're um, with, uh, traveling with your father. Your father is killed. Um, then you grow up. You're, uh, in, I believe, you are put into slavery. And you basically just have to destroy this evil that has killed your father and put you in a slavery and is trying to destroy the world and and all that. Um, the most interesting part about the game is the battle system, which has you recruiting monsters. It does have some characters you can recruit, like your wife. Uh, you can choose one of three different wives. Um, but mostly, I mean, at least I... Actually, I think I used a few of the regular characters, but... You also um, will recruit monsters, like uh, the Dragon Quest series has the Heal Slime, um, is a pretty popular monster. So you can actually recruit him, and he'll heal you instead of healing uh, the monsters. Um, did I miss anything about the plot? Um, the, the plot for 5 is pretty basic. Your father is venturing out. Your father, You find out that your father was the king of some country... He found out that evil was stirring in the world, so he ventured out to try and find the Chosen One, and he gathered the hero's equipment, and he took you along with him. Turns out that the 
the chosen one was actually your hero's son. And uh, the the hero, the the main character of the game actually isn't even the main hero. (laughs) And the the main hero actually isn't all that important. Right, but then it ends up being your... Your your son or yeah, it's it's your son, um, right? Yeah. And you, you yeah, you like you end up recruiting your son and your daughter into the party, I believe. Yeah, they're, they're um, twins, and um, when it comes to the wife system, there's two two of the different wives don't really matter all that much. Uh, there's a Bianca and I think Nina, I think is her name is. They don't really matter all that much. Um, but if you choose this one, I forget her name now. But um, she, if you choose her, she actually has access to the most powerful weapon in the game. Is that the crazy wife? Like, there's a yeah. normal one. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, that's the that's a Nina's older sister, the real bossy one. Okay. And she has access to this super dart gun that hits like three times in one attack. Oh, really? I don't think I got that. You get it. You get it in like the final dungeon. Oh, okay. And it makes fighting the final boss a lot easier. Yeah, but yeah, overall the game is about a generation of fa- of of a family, and but you still get the hero's equipment, and you still uh, you still go up to the castle in the sky, and then you win. So. I'm eagerly awaiting six when it comes out next month. I'm very excited about that myself. Um, I haven't actually, unfortunately, had a chance to play five. I'm very familiar with four. I do have five. I just haven't had a chance to um, get around to it, unfortunately. So maybe you guys can... uh, I appreciate you telling me about the story, kind of laying that out. Um, Do you feel that the plot... I mean, when you talk about the story and whatnot, it sounds very interesting. Do you feel... That it was better than four. Did did you play four too and can compare oh, yeah. and contrast? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the well, it, it, it's a typical plot for a Dragon Quest game. No, no Dragon Quest game out there hasn't has a great plot. They're they're all about being extremely simple. But um, in in comparison to four, yes, five was five is a lot better than four. Um, and and. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think what was really cool about 4 was, despite the fact... I mean, granted, I'm looking at this through rose-colored lenses, but sometimes we do an RPG backtrack. We're talking about old games for a reason. Um, I mean, 4 was so far ahead of its time. I mean, some people would argue with me on that, but I thought it was cool how you had the four different chapters at the beginning with the different characters. And and then it went kind of to a traditional JRPG, but that, that first ten hours was, was pretty cool. And even even after you got the whole party together, it was kind of cool how you could switch those characters out. It was the first time I ever done something like that. Um, did 5 uh, bring similar innovations to the table? Yeah, I, th- I think it was probably one of the first games that used like a, a generational system with the uh, in, in, into the story. Um, five is still regarded as as probably the best Dragon Quest in the series, next to eight. People people typically debate with if when people are debating their favorite Dragon Quest, it's typically either five or eight tends to be the favorites. I think I actually preferred uh, the story of four, just because in four, you know, you you went from hero to the merchant to the dancer, 
twins, and it, it kept it was like sort of like what we were saying about um, Baldur's Gate Four. It it kept throwing something different at you, whereas in Five you kind of knew like eventually if you're, if the player just kept having kids, eventually one of them was going to be the legendary hero, and that's of course what happened. You know, it didn't it didn't make it obvious because you know it ended up being your son. But I I think I actually enjoyed the story of Four a little bit more personally. Hmm. But five was good too. You know, I think actually one of my favorite things about five was actually the character design they used for the main character. The uh, the the purple robe and whatnot that the character wears is actually just one of my favorite character designs in Dragon Quest. Yeah, and um, it did have a, a little bit of a time travel um, when you meet when, when you first start playing. And you you meet that character that looks like an older version of you, and he, he's mm-hmm. like, "Don't give up." Mm. Um, so it used that that outfit to uh, foreshadow. One of the um, one of the things about uh, Dragon Quest Four was that, uh, and again, it wasn't like they were given a huge great death because this was an eight bit Nintendo game. But uh, you had these different characters who had each their own kind of story that, especially at the beginning, really pulled you in. Does does Five have a similar uh, cast of memorable characters in your group or anything like that? Yes, um, Five, it has... Um, it, it, well, I guess you say four of most memorable characters was... Uh, what was the merchant's name? So, Tornico. 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 Um, Something like it, that. It does, it, it doesn't have a, a character that's as memorable as Tornico, but um, it does have, a, I guess, the, the most memorable characters from 5 are probably the different wives you can choose. Um, first, like, at, and actually in the uh, in the remake version with the uh, the graphics for the DS, they, they made it to where, um, since they put a character portraits for any time someone talks, um, they made it to where... Uh, Choosing a different wife will change the hair color of your children. Hmm. So it, it, there's one of the wives that's a blonde. So if you choose them, though, your kids will have blonde versus this one that has black hair. That so it'll actually change the character portraits depending on of the children depending on which wife you choose. That's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> so I had that's why my kids had blonde hair. Nice. Yeah. And the, I, I I actually. I haven't replayed it to find out, but I it, it got me thinking one time when I when the kids had black hair and I knew that the one of the wives was a blonde, thinking like <laughs> so that I, I posted on GameFAQs asking that, and so someone told me that. <laughs> GameFAQs was useful for once. <laughs> well, the but, the forums anyway. Anyway, was uh, let's talk a little bit about the. Um, but what was the what was the main? I guess to go back to the plot, did I miss it? What was the main? What was your main purpose in the world? Something big, deep, dark, disastrous you had to defeat or something? Uh, there was some demon in the underworld that was creating a cult, that was trying to take over the world. Oh darn demons! Always trying to take over the world with their cults. Okay, so let's move on to the to the battle system. Um, I most of the Dragon Quest games, anybody who's played any of them, know. 
they don't have a large variation uh, oftentimes between the systems. Most Dragon Quest games have a very traditional Japanese turn-based, uh, JRPG I should say, turn-based uh, affair. Is uh, Does does Dragon Quest V bring anything fresh and new to the table? Um, it has a... Well, Dragon Quest in and of itself, it has that turn-based battle system. Most people don't realize it, but the Dragon Quest series invented that turn-based battle system. And uh, what happened with uh, DQ5, most of the system is largely the same, but as uh, Tom mentioned, you can recruit monsters into it. I mean, you, the main character has an affinity for monsters. And uh, every now and then just out of random, whenever you defeat a monster, it'll sometimes pop back up after battle asking you to join your party. And uh, different monsters with different combinations can pr- provide some interesting abilities, if you know if you know what. You probably have to read an FAQ to find out which ones have the best combinations, but... Yeah, it, it's an interesting system, but I found it mostly to be okay, you find the best physical type, you find the best caster type, um, or or you find the best uh, there. There's like the single target type, multi multi target because they can equip different equipment. Um, so I sort of found the, the best one that could, you know, just fight the boss. One that could hit the whole hit hit multiple groups of monsters, mm-hmm. and then the best caster. So it's not it's not that different. Even though you are recruiting monsters, it is cool that you're constantly switching out um, these monsters sometimes, but. I don't know, as far as overall, it's pretty much Dragon Quest. <laughs> For anybody who's played a number of Dragon Quest games, you just said it a lot by just saying, it's Dragon Quest. <laughs> but, you know, it's that's it's funny that that still ends up being entertaining. Like, I, I was still entertained by it to go out and just, you know, grind for a while to be able to buy better armor and a shield. And, I don't know, there's just something alluring about the simplicity in that that... You know, at least I and most of Japan seems to find interesting. You know, the, I've yet to play a Dragon Quest game I didn't like. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't like Nine as much as the others, given its complete lack of story. I, Dragon Quest has never been world renowned for its story, but uh, Nine has even less so with the fact that all the characters in that game are silent. In the party, but um, I think five is probably one of my favorite games in the series. Though I can't judge it completely because I've yet to play six. Though, mm. yeah. So um, once I play through and beat six, I'll be able to um, adequately judge that. You know, but I mean, it's like it's and you know, like Tom said, there's just something um, about. Dragon Quest games, and maybe it's my nostalgia. I I, I don't like a lot of ton of traditional um, RPG games, but it's like uh, Mac actually commented on this the uh, other day on one of the uh, maybe it's on the Sanctum or something, where, uh, which you can find at rpgamer.com. Look up RPG uh, RPG Sanctum. It's an awesome podcast by our very own Mr. Roy. Um, there's your plug, Roy. See, I'm looking out <laughs> for you. Um, it's 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 it, you know it's just. Dragon Quest is extremely traditional, but what it does, it does really well. The combats are really balanced. 
Um, the the story is there, and the interaction with the with the with the other characters are are there, but they don't get in the way of the overall experience like they do in some RPGs where you're spending forever trying to talk to eighteen hundred people to figure out what to do next, um, or anything like that, or or unbalanced combat where it goes suddenly from super easy to super hard, and that destroys the experience. You know what you're getting into with a with a Dragon Quest game, with the exception of maybe seven, <laughs> but for the most part, it's it's really. You know, a really, really solid experience, and it's, it's a great game to play when you're sitting on your couch watching your favorite uh, soap time opera or whatever they're called these days, primetime show or whatnot. Um, well, I, you think it could, it could be said with Dragon Quest, it did it first, it did it best. Yeah, and it's still, and in a lot of the, the games in the series, it still does. Like you said earlier, I mean, 8 is still one of my favorites. I'm definitely looking forward to 6, but 4, you know, the remake on 4 is still really, really great today. And even 9 still has a lot of charm to it, though I think, you know, for me it missed the mark just by a little bit because they started adding a little too much in that whole that whole saying that what they do, they do really well. I think they started doing a couple of things in Dragon Quest Night that they don't really did very well. <laughs> but well, it's still a pretty good game. Yeah, um, Dragon Quest Nine is a good game. Uh, the only thing that I don't really like about Dragon Quest Nine is you're playing... It's meant to be played with uh, multiplayer, and um, playing multiplayer and turn-based battles, multiplayer plus traditional turn-based battles just don't equal fun for me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's actually, maybe it's just, I don't know if this is just me, because I bought it the moment it came out, so maybe I bought a bugged copy or whatnot. But I've noticed that whenever um, certain things are happening or whatnot, I notice that the game has a little bit of lag on it, and Hmm. it's noticeable enough for me that it annoys me. Maybe I have a Dragon Quest Nine. it's the biggest problem is... uh... And one something you don't see in five and four, um, and I think what is some um, part of the allure of this series that makes it easy to play is that the battles are fast, whereas in nine the battles are slow. So that's what I like about the older Dragon Quest games. They keep the battle system fast. So you you know you're into a battle, you're killing the enemies, you're getting your experience, you're getting out as quick as possible. Yeah, and um, the the three D work for updating. Uh on the DS versions, the 3D updates for it and whatnot, it looks really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the I, animated I, sprites and all that. Yeah, I think when you're doing a 3D remake of a game that old as as old as the drag of those games are, I, th- I think that's really how you do it. Because they look really good. Yeah, those and, games. Uh, yep, definitely. There's, there's one cutscene I remember in, uh, in 5 that stands out. There's an optional boss you can fight in five. It's like the super mega boss. That um, it's this giant monster that comes out of a pot. And, yeah, he's uh, really tough. And um, <laughs> he he's the optional mega boss in the game. And uh, the cutscene that come that plays right before he comes out, right before he pops out of this giant urn, is just absolutely gorgeous. Sounds like. Pretty all though that that pretty enjoyable experience. Okay, Dragon yeah, Quest Dragon Quest Five is definitely a great game. Yeah, and we, you know definitely some nitpicks here and there. I think um, you know when I'm reading um, over, uh, Glenn had also reviewed this on the site, and a couple of his you know bullet points. Um, he loved the characters 
he felt they were endearing and he liked the, the whole pet monster mechanic. He felt that the pace was solid and consistent, which is, again, a trademark of Dragon Quest games. You, you really don't have the problem with imbalance like you do in other RPGs. Um, he says that the gameplay doesn't really get stale, um, but he, he felt that there uh, he says, quote, terrible and dated interface problems. Um, and uh, I don't know if they do they force like a touchscreen mechanic or something. No, it doesn't even. I don't think it even think it has touchscreen controls. I don't even think it has the option actually. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's referring to exactly. The, the, the interface. I didn't find any problem with the interface. If you played a Dragon Quest game, it it's not like it had the interface from Seven or the older classic games of where you have to open up a menu to use the stairs or anything like that. It doesn't do that. He might yeah. not have liked transferring items between bags because that's kind of always a pain in Dragon Quest games. Oh right, right. But but, but that's one of the things. That if you played one Dragon Quest, you should be used to that by now. You should expect that. Yeah, and he says, and I mean, he says at his conclusion, this is Dragon Quest, love it or hate it, you know exactly uh, what you're getting into, so, you know, and when we do reviews, that's often a question is, and we get lamb blasted sometimes when you point in a review something like the interface issue, and some of the people will say, well, you should have expected it's a Dragon Quest game, well, yeah, of course we expected, we're experienced reviewers, but on the other hand, we still have to note it because we have to presume that people reading the reviews are considering this game for the first time in its in its own, uh, you know, maybe apart from the context of the rest of the series. Though some people will be like, "Yeah, what's your problem? I'm I'm used to that." But I, I you know, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, with the Dragon Quest games, yeah, the interface and some of the mechanics feel um, kind of old. But at the same time, they didn't really take away from the experience. If you're an old fogey and you're nostalgic, it actually contributes to it because you're like, "Yeah, this is the way we've always handled items." Um, but if you're a newer gamer who grew up, uh, whose first game was, you know, Final Fantasy X or something like that, um, then, you know, you might still find some of those detrimental. But I don't think you'll find them detrimental to the point that you won't actually enjoy this beautiful experience. Right, guys? Yeah. Um, I, I, other than transferring items to the bag, what I guess some people might not like or whatnot, I, don't, I can't think of what he's talking about with interface issues. Well, I'm reading his review. He also says uh, the text bothered him. He says he says that uh, moving equipment was annoying, and then the text during battle was bothersome. But I'm pretty sure you could speed that up, and I'm pretty sure that's what I did. So that's probably why it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that would obviously make a big difference. You got to speed that text. I always speed. I always that's the first thing you do. Is you go into options and change the text speed on those guys when. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have to do you have to go into options to do it or does it give you the option at the beginning of the game? I can't remember. Probably it's probably in the options. But and then once you have that at max speed, you know, you just it doesn't matter how much text is there, you just skip through it really quickly. And um, and Dragon Quest is one of those games that if you really wanted to, you could go through the whole game without reading a sentence, really. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Alrighty. That's how Dragon Quest is. Any concluding thoughts? Buy it. Buy it. Tom? I mean, if, if you find it, you know, used or something, because they tend to be a little... I guess you can get them on, Am- on Amazon, but they tend to be a little tough to get after the initial release in North America and, and whatnot. Yeah, I'm, act- I'm glad you brought that up, because I actually did do a little research, and I almost forgot to mention it. Um, Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Bride on the Nintendo DS, is a bit of a hard find if you're looking at something like eBay or something. I'm seeing them go for as high as $65 uh, used 
um, and uh, and and whatnot. <laughs> I'm gonna look on Amazon right now, see if they have any uh, in stock. Just really fast here. Um, not not from Amazon. They've got 18. They have say quote 18 new from 62.99, which I imagine is from other vendors or private sellers. Um, nothing from them themselves. So unfortunately, it looks like that the initial. Uh, print run has dried up, and now people are. There's this one guy who's got listed for forty three hundred dollars. <laughs> Is he yeah. making that thing out of gold? Uh, I don't that's know. Tornico. He's trying to make a few bucks. Yeah, just a yeah, Tornico. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Well, that wraps up our, our blast from the recent past roundup. And I hope you guys uh, who are listening um, enjoy the the new format by putting blast from the recent past and PC pit stop into their own separate shows. We're able, as we did here tonight, uh, to give each of the individual games a little bit more love and a little bit more time, and to give you a little bit more detail. So let us know what you think about this new format. Um, at rpgamer.com, we'll talk. We'll give you some more directions at the end of the show on how you can do that. Um, Tom isn't going to be here for our second half, so I want to thank you so much for stopping by and giving us uh, your expert ex opinion and feedback on some of these games. Tom, is there anything you want to say to the audience before we leave for the night, or before you leave for the night? Um, no, I'm just here for the paycheck. I mean, that's in the mail, right? <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. It is. I'm sending you a copy of Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles from the Nintendo GameCube. Awesome. Okay. That sounds good. I don't have that, so I'll take that. There you go. Nice. Um, and we'll be right back after a few minutes for our PC Pit Stop selection of the evening. We're going to be talking about The Witcher. Stay tuned. Welcome to back to RPG Backtrack, and it's time for our PC Pit Stop. Our PC Pit Stop pick of the month is The Witcher. And to help me talk about The Witcher, I welcome back Mr. Roy. How are you doing, Mr. Roy? I'm doing fine. And our new friend, Mr. Dave McDookiehickey. How are you doing, Dave? Eh, everything's okay around here. Yeah, so you already talk about The Witcher? Sure am. Yeah. <laughs> so, The Witcher was developed by CD uh, Project Red Studio, published by Atari. Um, this is a Windows game. You're not going to be able to grab this guy on your console just yet. Um, this was released in North America. You'll never be able to grab it ever. Ever. But maybe the second one. Um, this one was released in North America on October 30th, 2007. This is an action RPG single player experience for your PC. And <laughs> depending on which version you have, this is rated M or AO. <laughs> Um, which is for people much older than me. So, oh boy, where do we start? Now, let me start by, you know, The Witcher, The Witcher, I think, was brought, 
actually, you know, The Witcher for me was just a breath of absolute, absolute fresh air. Um, it was just absolutely wonderful. Before we talk about opinions, let's talk about facts. Do any of you want to discuss the overall plot and storyline? Because that's how we like to start on RPG Backtrack. Can, and talk can I talk about, a little bit about the book based off of? Uh, as long as you as long as you discuss the plot of the actual game itself, that's the meat and potatoes of oh, the yeah. section. Uh, about I, I just want to just want to mention that they're actually really good, so people mm-hmm. should read them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So go go ahead and talk about the book, and then talk about right. how that's the backdrop for the plot and what the plot is, and and you know what well, I... what Gerard's role is and everything and whatnot. And spoilers, spoilers, ahoy! We're we're warning you now, it's guys. Gerald, yeah, Gerald, Gerald, I call him Gerald. Hey, whatever. Hey, I'm just telling you right now, guys. Uh, if you don't want to hear spoilers, we're going to talk about a lot of spoilers here. Just just fast forward about 30 minutes or so, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Or better yet, just go out and buy the game and play it now because it's just that good. You don't even have to listen to Backtrack. You can just go and buy it now. But if you're still on the fence, let's tell them a little bit more. Well, uh, the books were – well, really the primary thing I want to say about the book is mostly that it gives context for the opening CG scene which is actually an illustration of the first story in the first short story collection, The Last Witch, Wish, and is essentially Geralt's battle with a creature called a Striga. I can't remember if the game ever gives context for that scene or not. Yeah, they do. They, they, that's the opening. There's a CG thing of the yeah, battle CG with the Striga. I just can't remember if the game ever explains the CG scene or if it just happens. I kept skipping past it, and so, because every other time I opened up the game, it just sort of, yeah, never mind. Yeah, for for those that don't know, The Witcher is a game that even though it is three years old, it still takes one heck of a beefy PC to run the thing. Let's stay focused on the plot for the moment. So this is is the story of Geralda Rivia, who is what? I mean, a professional monster slayer, also known as a witcher. Okay, we talked about the opening cutscene. What is the purpose of this cutscene? What stage is it setting? Basically, with uh, Geralt went through his, all his previous adventures, lost his memory. He came back to the fortress of the witchers. They got attacked by some bandits. They, the bandits stole some potions, whatnot, from the witchers, and now the witchers have to go down and hunt them. Is the basic plot setup. <laughs> and and he's followed by his fellow witchers, right? No, he starts out going out. Each, each uh, of the there's four witchers, and they each go to the four corners of the world in a sense. Well, yeah, at the beginning they're together, and they're all defending their stronghold. Care more in their castle. Yeah, their their stronghold, and then they split up and they go to the four corners of the world. And then what happens? as Geralt goes to his corner of the four corners of the world. What does that lead to? A whole bunch of twists and turns, and uh, Geralt first comes to a... What was it? It was a really teeny town where he finds out that there's some type of ghost dogs that are haunting the town. And he has to try and solve that, and there's a plague, and he can't get into the main city he's trying to get into. to figure out what's causing that, and then there's some big war between this knightly order and non-humans. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but there, I mean, he—it's much deeper than this. I mean, this thing has a, a deep plot line that goes that that goes into a lot of number of issues as far as racism. It goes into politics. It goes into social ethics. Um, it goes into everyday manly living. <laughs> Um, Geralt's a man's man. I mean, there's there's just there's just so much going on in this story, and the decisions that the character makes are important. Can anybody tell me why? Oh, it's a highly impactful story. What is this? <laughs> and you know, the e- Geralt's character—they definitely point him out, as you said, to be the man's man. And He's a very likable character, and they do a good job of developing him, yet still giving you uh, a lot of literary freedom in in the story and how it develops and how it unfolds. The one probably detraction you can take from the story is uh, um, The Witcher is a low fantasy game, probably one of the most blatant low fantasy games you could ever play. And because of that, um, it, it seems that they almost overdo it with the low fantasy theme at points. It seems like just about every person in this world is a douche. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, there, there are situations where it just really seems pretty no-win, regardless of who you're siding with. And I and I found that I found that particularly refreshing. Um, you know the the reality of life. I mean the reality of life. And I understand that some people, um, you know, play fantasy games to get away into a fantasy world. If you just hate life and you hate the current world you live in and stuff. And hey, who doesn't? But if you play your fantasy games particularly to get away from those, then maybe um, The Witcher isn't the best bet for you. But I found it refreshing after playing so many games with spiky-haired teenagers who represent the epitome of what's right and villains that are to the complete opposite who uh, who uh, you know portray the epitome of wrong. Uh, Geralt is a man's man trying to make his way through a day-to-day world where he is surrounded by uh, individuals who range from uh, who range from people with some character flaws you know up to up to corrupt people with some good intentions so the range isn't going all the way from directly white to black but instead it's going from light gray to a darker gray the well, result for, for 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 the witcher though when it comes to like certain scenes like uh, to compare witcher in its darkness of its story in comparison to say dragon age which is another game that gives you a lot of choice in a game like dragon age where it mixes the low and high fantasy settings if you encounter in dragon age say a priest that person is may have some character flaws, but ultimately they're a good character, whatnot. If you encounter a priest in The Witcher, it's going to be that character is probably going to be a holy man, and he probably lives somewhat of the thing. But also, that holy man's probably also raping the village girls that he's in, Maybe, just for kicks and giggles. You know, and at the same time, the lady who's selling herself as a prostitute may be supporting her family back home. I mean, it's just it's really, really interesting because in at the end of the day, that's what life is really like. I mean, I mean, when you walk down the streets, a lot of the people who you know uh, who do wrong things and even get put into jail. 
had good intentions, were doing, you know, who, who, you know, they're supporting their families or whatever have you. How many illegal immigrants do we have in this country who, at the end of the day, are here or in this country, USA? I don't think country. we have any illegal immigrants you know, in, in my country. You, you might have a few, just a few, um, you know, who are doing it, um, you know, for the for the quote unquote the right reasons. I know those people are just dying to come here. Yeah, well, they should be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, we have a, we have a lot of that, and I mean, this is it's a really great parallel. And how many priests do we have in various churches who are on the news for committing some very foul acts? I mean, this is it's a really really great parallel to real life. It's very refreshing to see in an RPG. Uh, I just I can't underscore this enough. And and what what what's really interesting is that when you have characters who are a stronger parallel to real life, it opens up some fantastic dialogue opportunities. I remember one particular scene where Geralt and a couple of his newfound friends are in a bar and he's drinking, they're all drinking a little too much, so they're being a little brutally honest with each other and whatnot. And I had laughed through that scene. It's very rare I laugh through a video game. I may laugh through a TV show once in a while, but but video games are very rare to make me laugh. But this one made me laugh because I could actually see that happening. Because I'm often in a bar drinking too much. I'm just, <laughs> but I could actually see that happening between a bunch of guys sitting around a bar. The dialogue was absolutely sharp. And, and, and granted, you know, a huge part of that is, is, is due to great writing. But a good chunk of that is due to the setting and the fact that, you know, the people are down to earth. Um, that's just going to make it easier for the writers to come up with situations where the dialogue feels uh, closer to the norm. And from an RPG perspective, I mean, and granted, the problem with the one problem with The Witcher is that you're forced to play Geralt and put yourself in his shoes, whether or not you really wanted to be like Geralt. You are Geralt in this this game, and there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in the actual you know character, so you don't feel like you're doing a lot of RPing. But you feel like you feel like if you're a guy and you've been in similar situations before or something like that, you just feel it's so real. I mean, the dialogue is just spot on. The situations that come up. Are similar situations you face in your own life at work, where maybe, maybe your boss is asking you to do something that isn't technically illegal, but maybe it's borderline bad. Maybe it's a white lie. Maybe it's asking you not to divulge the entire truth. For I mean, these things come up every day, and I just found it refreshing. I mean, the problems with religions and things like that—that's all over the place. I I live in the capital of uh, problems with religion over here in Utah. It's just it's really, really to me the story, the plot, the characters, the way it was written, and maybe because it's based off a book, but uh, it was just really, really, really refreshing to me. Yeah, I have to say, one of the things that I I really liked about The Witcher, in particular, in particular with its story, was um, the how it uh, tackles the subject of racism with humans versus the various sub races of elves and dwarves and whatnot. And that that was actually one of my favorite parts of the game, and it, it definitely tackles a a lot more of the quote unquote darker topics than what you would normally find in a video game and it actually does them in a very mature way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, let's, you know, the, the, the characters, you know, talk about one of the characters, Triss. What world does she play? Anybody? Oh, oh yeah, she, she's a girl's lover, more or less. Kind of, sort of. She plays a role in the plot, right? Yeah, she's the uh, friend of the uh, of the Witchers, and 
it's heavily implied that the game starts out with Geralt having amnesia, so he doesn't remember any of the stuff that happened in the books, which all take place prior to the game. And it's heavily implied that that she's in love with him and that and that they're lovers. And I honestly can't remember what else she had in the plot. And it, I mean, just the way that you know he interacts with her and whatnot. Um, you know, there's a there's definitely a divide between them. There's a distance between them, but they're also really close. And and uh, you know, a good chunk of the, the you know she leads him on to the next thing and the next thing. Um, but obviously she's doing it for her purposes, which, if, uh, you know, at least for a good chunk of the time, he doesn't really even begin to understand what, you know, what what her motivations are, even though they're close. She's hiding things from him. Right? David, what's your opinion on the subject? I don't know. I'm I'm still thinking about the whole gray morality. A lot of, like, you know... I guess it's going backwards a bit, but a lot of developers have, well, like RPG developers especially, will like try to inject gray morality. Like I, I like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, but there's almost always a sort of ideal way to end a scenario where there's really not a lot of downsides. But you know, The Witcher really tackles that in a much more well. Just gonna have to pick whatever seems less terrible to you. Yeah, there's a so there's a number of decisions that you as you're going through the plot, as you're going through the story, there's a number of times where you have to make an important decision. And as you're going through the game, a lot of times you'll Geralt will have these uh, these self monologues, uh, self inflections or whatnot, where he'll talk about what's happened in the past and where he's at today and how those decisions he made back then affected and got him to where he's at right now. And he'll often sit there and wonder, what if I had done this? He'll even say that sometimes. What if I had gone that direction? And that was pretty. That was, that was a pretty cool part of the story. I mean, that right there makes you want to go back and try it a different way. Yeah, that's one of the enjoyable parts of games like The Witcher and Dragon Age and other games like it. But The Witcher in particular, it, it, it took... Um, Bioware had done other games prior to that where you had moral choice and and they did it quite well with Dragon Age and Mass Effect but CD Projekt Red they took that to a whole new level with The Witcher and I don't think anyone's really quite echoed it the, or completely mirrored it you haven't played, I haven't played any uh, Mass Effect game too far but um, one of the things about The Witcher was when you made those decisions the thing was you didn't see the implications of that decision right away I mean, there's always been RPGs where they give you, as I like to use that term, the illusion of choice. And and one of the ways they do that is by asking you, do you want to do this, yes or no? The worst offender is the one where you click no, and they keep repeating themselves until you click less, yes. The of- must. Yeah. The other offenders are the ones where the effect of what you do is seen immediately as soon as you click yes or no. And, uh, you know, might be a certain dialogue tree or maybe you don't get a particular item, but that's the only effect. Uh, maybe if you're really lucky, there'll be a little note at the end of the game about it. In The Witcher, what happens is when you make a decision, let's say on the third or fourth hour of the game when it's presented to you, when you're getting through chapter one, the implication of that choice will show itself up later on in chapter three, which is like ten hours down the road. You can't just go back and reload that guy. I mean, without moving yourself back a full ten hours to see what the other 
alternative would have been. So by the time you actually see the outcome of that decision, you're pretty well invested in the game, which pretty much uh, knocks out the whole, I mean, some RPGs where you might save and reload if you had made a bad decision and you immediately die or uh, you don't get the magic item you wanted or something. In The Witcher, it's it's more of a committing to your committed to that action and, and whatnot. And I think that really added a total depth to it, not really seen before. Uh, I, I don't remember, no other game I played, and not that I played every game that's out there, but no other game that I personally played made me feel that my decisions had such long-term implications. Yeah, and I, I think I'm... of what you were just describing, where you have a lot of choice in the game, but the effects of those choices are pretty immediate. And those games, they they do have a lot of choice, but they tend to center around like, there's three major choices in the game that read, there, there are always like just three or four real major choices that will ultimately affect how the game ends, but all the other stuff, it's pretty much like you said like, you you choose a wrong dialogue tree and you didn't get the magic item, so you reload and choose it a different way. I, I don't even know, I don't even know, I don't even know of a lot of games that where the decision you make has major cho- major implications like in JRPGs a decision you make early in the game, if you're playing a really cool JRPG, what it will do is affect the ending. But in The Witcher, it actually affects the gameplay and what chapters and what happens in the future chapters and how they unveil themselves to you. I think that's what made The Witcher really, really stand out because it was really big. I mean, yeah, there's JRPGs. It's so funny because you got the JRPGs where... Yeah, what you decide to do will change the ending. And you kind of feel like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but you kind of feel hoodwinked. You kind of feel like, oh gosh, I don't know. It always feels so artificial uh, when you look at some of those games with like th- the ones that, that boast, we have three different endings. Half the time, whether or not you get the good ending versus the excellent ending has to do with something really superficial, like whether or not you uncovered a secret item or you got, like in Final Fantasy uh, uh, 2 whether or not you got 100% completion, which means you found every secret item, did every plot, or did every you know uh, thing they want you to do, every mission completely. Whereas in The Witcher, it felt a lot more natural. The decisions you made were tough. The consequences were logical, and they happened within the game, and they affected your gameplay experience for the rest of the game, even though you may not see it until 10 hours down the road or something like that. And it dramatically altered the rest of the game. Oh, Knights of the Old Republic, remember that one? And that one you could pick to be on the good or the bad side, and as you got more towards the good or the bad, it would impact how some of the the NPCs react to you or whatnot. But at the end of the day, it didn't dramatically change the experience, and the funny thing was, towards the end of the game, there was one thing you could do to immediately change yourself one way or the other. It, it just really felt like in in Witcher, it felt more, it felt more logical, it felt more natural, and it felt more like real life. Yeah, I think that, that's one thing The Witcher has to its credit is the immersion for the immersion factor on The Witcher is about as good as a game can get, especially on that. And I think The Witcher still holds the crown of what you were talking about, where it says the um, a decision dramatically changes the game, even down the road before it ends and whatnot, even in Dragon Age and whatnot, for all the choices that it offers, really what what those choices affect is it just the immediate area. It doesn't really affect it down the road, except for like those four major choices that affect the ending or whatnot. 
And much like Dragon Age, it helps that uh, The Witcher does not tie itself down or concern itself with a black-and-white morality meter. Yeah, no, there's no there's no black-and-white morality meter, and you you never get the feeling that by making this decision you've gone totally off in this direction or you totally have screwed your game up or anything like that. You just realize you're going down a different path. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And speaking of decisions you made, one of the decisions you could make, which we should talk about and get it done with, and if, if, if Sam, was it Sam? I think she would enjoy this part. There was always the choice to seduce women, certain women, right, Roy? Yeah, like the time you can seduce the the wood nymph. <laughs> that was one I remember. Did you seduce a few women, Dave? Um, I guess I'd be lying if I said no, but I'm trying to avoid speaking on that as it speaks to myself personally. <laughs> um, so you could... <laughs> there were a number of women in the game throughout the various chapters who you could uh, seduce... And if you did so, you uh, you would earn a romance card. <laughs> which, depending on which edition of The Witcher you had, either had a woman who was tactfully um, covered or was not tactfully covered. <laughs> um, so, but no matter which version you had, they were pretty, um, pretty um, let's say, erotic. <laughs> Risque, um, perhaps? Yeah. So maybe, yeah, risque. <laughs> so maybe if you want to go through again and collect different cards. It's kind of like Pokemon. you got to catch them all. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a new spin on Pokemon. Thing witchers are immune to STDs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was just a lot of things about The Witcher that definitely felt more adult-oriented. And, and while I don't think every RPG necessarily needs to be uh, adult oriented to the point where you're collecting um, erotic cards or you know trying to sack women or anything like that. I I, I found I, I think that more RPGs would absolutely benefit from taking a more realistic. Not saying they all have to be that way. High fantasy serves its purpose, and I love high fantasy, but I'd love to see a little bit more of the low fantasy stuff where it just feels more down to earth and and whatnot. So as is typical. It, with a low fantasy setting, there's not a ton of magic. Magic kind of exists, but it's not superfluous all over the place and whatever have you. Let's talk about the combat system. Geralt, of course, doesn't use magic in and of himself. Uh, he's usually attacking with his sword. And speaking of kung fu, he has different stances, right, Dave? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember what they're called. They're like, uh. Oh, we don't care what they're called. It's a light. They were called yeah, styles. The group style, the fast style, and the strong one. Yeah, you got a light, medium, and fast. I think, if I remember correctly. But, but yeah, and and there's also the potions, which are fun to mess around with. But perhaps that's going a bit too far ahead. Yeah, with the you know, first of all, let's talk about you know his main his main implement of pain and destruction was the sword. And in well, this two swords, really, but what? Yeah, our two swords. Yeah. And and so he would uh, – so in order to get Geralt to attack, you had to time how you were clicking on the monsters, right? Yeah, yeah which made it an incredible pain if the game decided to slow down in the middle of combat. Or, or how about my favorite, Dave, camera issues. 
nothing's more fun than trying to click on that monster. I think it was this one battle in particular where uh, you were ta- y'all were talking about the mermaid earlier or whatever have you. It was shortly after I met her that I had to fight some like enemy mermen or something like that, and the camera just wouldn't cooperate. And every time I tried it, I would pause it, try to pan around the camera so I could get a beat on one guy and right-click on him and kind of queue up an attack or something. It's just the camera was so wonky. And in a game where I'm only playing one character, I don't want to pause a lot. I just want to click and kill things. It wasn't as smooth as it could be sometimes, and I found that aspect of the combat to be hit or miss. What did you think, Roy? Oh, yeah. Um, personally, what, what I always did with the combat is that um, the game gives you two options with combat. You can play with either an up-close-and-personal view, or you can go for the isometric. Um Personally, the, the game, at least in combat, is much, much, much easier if you play it up close and personal when you're in combat. It's a little bit easier to move around and whatnot when you're, and you don't notice some of the frame rate issues when you, if you play it in an isometric when you're, when you're moving the Geralt around. But when you're in combat, the, the up close and personal view, I think they call it the first person mode. Um, works really well. Um, the other big point that uh, that uh, David made is that um, the alchemy system for uh, the Witcher is probably one of the most in depth I've ever seen. And one how that lends itself to combat is you can create different potions that do different effects. And uh, some of the potions had um, when it came to fighting the bosses, the potions were absolutely necessary. Because, um, but it there it was also possible to um, if you used if you made a lot of potions and got really good at the alchemy system, it also entered the ability to very much enter overkill. Though, if you guys you get really good at it, the game tries to stop you from doing that by giving each potion a sort of toxicity, if I remember right. And some of them have really high toxicity if they're really powerful, but it's not really enough to stop you from being able to craft some kind of overpowered combinations. Well, the, the one thing that The Witcher does that I thought was a rather unique effect is that, um, what you mentioned, how it has the toxicity. If you get um, to the point where you drink too many potions and you get a high toxicity, what the game starts doing then is it, it's, it starts making the game, it starts making your screen flash red dots. Yeah, that was a neat effect. It's like if you drink too much, it would actually start affecting the screen and and, and whatnot, and, and actually make it a little difficult to play. Yeah, it, it, it made it a it made it essentially. It was trying to simulate you being drunk, essentially. Yeah, for, I, for sheer novelty's sake, my personal favorite potion is probably making your blood poisonous, so that undead creatures trying to bite you will die. Oh, nice. I think the one I used the most often was probably the Blizzard potion was probably the one of the most standard easy potions to make. That all it simply did was speed up your attack movements to insane levels. Mm. I actually really like the animations for uh, Geralt's attacks. I mean, it's not they're not like super varied, but they're kind of fun to look at at least in the beginning, and and it makes the combat look more dynamic than perhaps it actually is. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what's really good is that if, if you get, um, the combat animations are really good, if you get good at uh, stunning an enemy and are have good enough timing to perform those one-hit finishers. 
It helps it helps to combat it and varies it up where instead of just whacking the person with the sword and they die or whatever you get if you get good at being able to stun them and click it and you get the timing just right you'll get that one hit finisher where he decapitates the guy or something of that nature and those are always cool they uh, so in order to basically with the potion system as you're running around the world you find herbs in the ground it's kind of like World of Warcraft you pick those guys up you can mix them, I think it's at the campsites or whatever have you, but you can mix them uh, to form uh, various potions and, and what have you. And I think you find recipes throughout the world. Yeah, you do. You find them in books and other places you can buy them. And that that was another thing the game did that was really unique that's different from a lot of standard, especially for computer RPGs, Is the uh, was the camp system. At, at times it was really annoying, but it also added to the realism of the game, though. That you can only save the game at a camp, or no, you can save the game any time, but you can only heal your character at the camp. You can only craft your potions when you've made a camp, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and although, what was really the only thing that I found about that system that was really annoying, though, is um, it. It added to the realism factor of it, but it was still really annoying, was that uh, if it was raining outside and there wasn't any buildings nearby, you couldn't create a camp because you have to be able to light a fire to create a camp. Well, I, I yeah. just, I, if memory serves, I, you can't level up outside of a camp, and that kind of bugged me sometimes. Yeah, you had to go to the camp, and you, had, you have to meditate to be able to level up. But it also did have an interesting point, though, that if you if you were on a quest and you needed to get to a certain point of the day, because the NPCs, when the whole world is always active in its real time, so if you if you need if you were on a quest and you needed to get to find an NPC that only appears in a certain spot in a certain time of day, you can always act go to a camp and meditate for such amount of hours until they appear. So it was handy for that. Mm-hmm. Instead of just having to wander around and wait for the in-game clock to reach whatever point you needed it to. Yeah, yeah. The NPCs had schedules they kept and whatnot, and it could be a little frustrating if you're trying to find an NPC you didn't know where he's at, especially if it was for a quest or something. Which speaking of, it had a quest system and a journal. Yeah, it was one of those things that, while it added to the realism of the game, it was also annoying. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it got an, it got annoying at times, but it added to the realism of it at the same time, at least as much as a low-fantasy medieval RPG can be realistic at that point, anyway. And, you know, that that whole... that whole... Um, that whole thing about the, the quest... The, to go back to the... Well, we didn't start it off anyways. <laughs> the quest system and the journal system... That kind of ties in with it as well. And the quest system, if I remember correctly, and this was two or three years since I played it, but it would show you where you needed to go, but it would just kind of give you a general area. And if where you had to go had to deal with an NPC and it wasn't his schedule to be there, you were left scratching your head. But maybe that was just me. I, I swear I used to have problems with that. Um, it, it wasn't as good as it could have been. Uh, you know, We're kind of in the 21st century where we're kind of used to uh, journals and stuff kind of leading us where we need to go. So, anywho, um, did y'all? What did y'all it, think it's of the journal? For uh, um, that is probably the one one major detraction you could take from The Witcher is it did not have the best interface. Yeah, 
And especially if you're used to playing games like Mass Effect or Dragon Age, of those types of RPGs where the interface is perfect. <laughs> oh, the inventory in Mass Effect could have used some work. Well, the, generally speaking, it, it, the, the interface works. Well, it's a lot better than what The Witcher did. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely better than some of the quirks The Witcher's interface has. And The, the Witcher's interface was complicated to give it a put in a general term. It, it took some use to getting used to. And I'd say most games, um, the one game I played, um, Dragon Age had a really good interface, I think. And uh, The Witcher's, it, it was just hard to navigate. And um, the one thing that did... Uh, that made it hard to navigate whatnot is when when you were inside a building in The Witcher um, it was hard to tell what time of day it was and whatnot and to keep track of things mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah I mean I, I had the same problems you know like I kind of mentioned before but the interface and stuff just really really wasn't the best and kind of detracted a bit from the experience what did y'all think overall of the voice acting? There's quite a bit of voice acting in the game. Oh, the game has some of the best voice acting around there. Uh, especially um, if if there's one um, universal truth in gaming, if, especially among RPGs, is that when it comes to voice acting, among Bioware's RPGs, you can't touch the voice acting. It's always good. And um, see, uh, The Witcher, you know, it was made by CD Red Project. It was one of those games that it it was of that same level of quality. And if, for those that don't know, that the there were orig- three editions of the game released. There was the regular edition that was the first one came out. There was the enhanced edition, and there was the director's cut. Um, the voice acting in the original edition was uh, it was spotty. And uh, some of the dialogue was uh, was spotty as well. Then uh, what they did with the enhanced edition is that the uh, developers essentially went through the game. There were a lot of complaints around the original game about stuff that was wrong with it. Um, certain lines and, and the dialogue wasn't the best. Um, there were certain things that people would do that just made utter no sense. You'd be talking to a game and another character near you would just spurt out some line that was just completely random out of the blue made no utter no sense so what they did with the enhanced edition is they completely revamped the game and they 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 changed it completely they added it to where they completed a new morphs for the NPCs so all the NPCs looked different they added a whole new ton of dialogue they fixed they fixed everything they completely redid the game from the ground up it's like the most massive patch I have ever seen for a game and really all the director's cut did is it added nipples to the movie scenes that's all the director could think to add (laughs) that's pretty much the only real mega difference between the enhanced and thing is that it um there was a in order to get that mature rating for the um for the which are on on the download sites and whatnot. They they wanted to try and get them so they can make it more appealable for people that don't want don't want to buy AO games. They they still typically only sell the enhanced edition, but and 
it got censored in certain parts of Europe, and I definitely know it did in the U.S., but they eventually got got around to releasing a director's cut patch, which pretty much all it did was add in the edited edited stuff for in terms of nudity and whatnot. But uh, the voice acting in the enhanced edition, once they fixed everything with it, it, it it's spot on. Yeah, so so basically, at at you know the game had I think originally came out in 2007, and somewhere in 2008 there was announced that there would be an enhanced version of the game released later in the year. Um, as you mentioned, it would have new voice acting, uh, new animations. Um, it improved stability because with the original release of The Witcher, there were a number of stability issues and as such, um, and reduced loading times. Now, I had played the original one for a little bit, and I will say that the loading times were noticeably improved. That was a, a no-brainer. Um, alone, that alone almost would make it kind of worth to get. Um, they they mentioned something about the bugs being fixed and stuff, and. Um, I didn't really run into bugs when I played the original one, so I'm presuming that they did a, a good job or whatnot with those. Uh, th- it also came, uh, as an additional bonus, it came with a making of DVD, uh, an in-game soundtrack, which I still have to this day, and uh, a little book, which is probably somewhere in my closet. So if you already own the original Witcher, then there was a 25-step process you would go through in order to download all this enhanced Updates and it took a month of Sundays. It wasn't impossible, but it, some people did it really easily, and some people who aren't quite as bright and, and enlightened as myself uh, struggled a lot with it. Uh, I, when I had my, a chance to grab a hold of the Enhanced Edition for a relatively cheap price, I went ahead and grabbed that because that basically had everything included uh, without me having to go to the website and register and download separate patches based on my localization, blah, 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 blah. It was a lot less complicated just to have the Enhanced uh, Edition. Yeah, the one thing they did with the Enhanced Edition when they released that is that, yeah, and they had reduced the price of the game. They had the Collector's Edition, which it seems that you and I both bought, Phil, for, that had the DVD and all that stuff in it. But it also seems that when they put it on the download space, they usually started the enhanced edition at right at twenty bucks at launch. Yeah, and I mean CD Projekt did right with this because, um, you know, I'm sure it took them a ton of work. They could have just left The Witcher out there the way it was, and and and, and you know, people like the game despite its flaws. It, it got like an eighty percent on meta and stuff, and it did okay, especially for a, a, a small developer type of game. Um, but by re-releasing it as an enhanced edition, I think that was a really, really great PR move for them. I reviewed it. I gave it a really good score. And looking back at meta, the enhanced edition was, even though it was essentially the same game, just with a number of, of tweaks and improvements, despite the fact uh, that it was basically a re-release, it was rated uh, a bit higher at 86%. So I know a lot of people liked it and played it and whatnot. It's just they did a really good job by taking that route that they did. And in the same point, they might have made themselves a few extra bucks in the process, which, you know, good for them, by releasing it as a separate release rather than a gigantic official patch. Um, yeah, and they, 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 that probably helped because, like, for all the people that were like you that got frustrated with it, they like, I'll just go out and buy the thing again, save yeah. myself the hassle. I gave it, I gave the disc to some friend. I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I, I just, I don't have time to play with big issues. A, a patch should be easy. I have to say... That didn't come across as any patch, but it did have some extra content. It had some extra adventures, too, but I didn't play through those, so I'm not quite qualified to chit-chat about 
the additional content it brought to the table, but they were very minor relative to the actual beef and potatoes of the whole thing. So, um, I, uh, is there is there what is there anything else that sticks out in y'all's mind? We talked to, we talked a bit about last stuff. One of the things you mentioned before, we should hit on it now, Roy. Is that is that yes? It did take a beefy computer to run, and I think that was part, of especially the original releases problem. It really wasn't optimized very well. The enhanced version improved it, but it didn't completely uh, eliminate the fact that at the end of the day, I think if you look at the uh, the graphical quality in this game, the art direction is fine for a low fantasy type of game. But the actual optimization of the graphics still leaves something to be desired. It still seems to require a higher, I, I wouldn't say a higher end by today's standards, but it still requires a, at least a mid-end computer to run, even though the graphics look like they could have been almost done in Neverwinter Nights, which runs on my netbook. Neverwinter Nights engine, didn't it? Yeah, the, the, the game does run off the original Rory engine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and it does, you know. So it looks like, but I mean, I mean, it does run off the Aurora engine, but it's, uh, you know, obviously it's also been enhanced and overhauled or whatever have you. So I don't want to make a direct parallel and say this is the Aurora engine. But when you're looking at the graphical quality, it's it, it is improved, but isn't that much improved? And I know the I know I can get Neverwinter Nights one to run on my netbook, which has a stinky processor, has no graphics card, and and it'll run on there at about twenty to thirty frames a second. With The Witcher, it brought my Power PC to a crawl on the original release. The enhanced edition ran quite a bit smoother. Now that I've got a newer computer, it runs just fine. But yeah, kind of be aware that even though this is a two thousand seven two thousand eight game, it uh, with you know RPG, you'd expect to run on anything. It really, really does. And if you're going to try to play this on your laptop that doesn't have a graphics card, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, um, it 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 plays fine on my Alienware that I have now. Oh the well, geez, on your Alienware, Roy. That's <laughs> you know. oh my gosh, that's uh, no, I'm not, that's just bad, Roy. That's like saying. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like getting across the street in my jet. No problem. I, I don't have a problem, Phil. I, I don't see the problem here. Well, anywho, point B, it plays fine on the high-end PC now, but um, even on the high-end PC, um, it, it, I don't think it has a V-Sync option. So even on the highest NPC, it generally runs pretty well. But even on the highest NPC that I have, it every now and then you still accompany some frame stuttering. Every yeah. now and then, it definitely needs a dedicated graphics card. Is is the point? If you've got a dedicated graphics card from the last five years, you'll probably be fine. Um, if you're wanting, a lot of people are running laptops these days. In fact, laptop owners, uh, users now out. Uh, outnumber those who use desktop PCs, and that's fantastic. Unless you've got a laptop that doesn't have a dedicated graphic card, you're probably going to have a little bit of an issue with The Witcher, even if you don't have issues with other similar games in that category. So, kind of keep that in mind. What about the, the, the music, Roy? David, did you think anything about that? Oh, the, uh, the, the music in The Witcher is excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I wish... It has some of the best RPG, Western RPG music, on especially of any PC release. But I'd say it's definitely my favorite music in a Western RPG of the last four years or so. That was one thing I think it could take as a detriment to uh, 
Dragon Age and Mass Effect is that they were great games overall, but they just didn't have that great of memorable music. But the, the Witcher, the Witcher has some great musical pieces. Um, apparently, the guys that work at um, CD Red Project really love Symphony. So that is the bulk of the Witcher's uh, musical scores are pretty much all uh, orchestra, mm-hmm. and by extension of that, and it's good orchestra too. I, I feel weird saying this. I remembered liking the music, but I can't actually remember much about it, which is odd. Well, the The Witcher has some great musical pieces in it. It's, it, it's it's definitely one of the better soundtracks you can buy for a game. You you could totally have never played the game whatsoever, and if you buy the soundtrack for it, if you're just someone that just loves Symphony, you would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's got a very high symphony, Lord of the Rings type symphony to it that really fits the game well. Yeah, and I got the sound. I mean, I I'm not very good at remembering music when I'm playing a game unless it's totally excruciating. Um, but I remember playing this off the soundtrack, and I just enjoyed listening to the soundtrack. It's pretty good. Let's uh, before we wrap up. I guess we'll kind of doing this a little bit out of order, but um, we talked. Uh, you know, we uh, I guess when when Mike's not here, I don't spend a lot of time going into details about characters because. Um, I'm the worst when it comes to, to remembering little details like this, but in this game, you have one character uh, that you play that absolutely stands out, and that's Geralt. And this guy, he, I mean, it's important to know when you're getting into The Witcher <laughs> what you're getting into by playing Geralt, because he is the story. I mean, the story is all about him and, and what he's doing in the world and whatnot. So it's important to know what he brings to the table, especially with the with the low fantasy. When you get into a high fantasy game, you kind of know what to expect out of your hero. When you get into a low fantasy game, uh, you're not super sure what his weaknesses uh, and strengths are going to be and, and whatnot, what, he, what he's going to bring to the table. And in the case of The Witcher, it's important that you kind of know that before you buy the game. Because if Geralt's the kind of guy that you absolutely can't connect with, it's probably not going to be a very great gaming RPG experience for you, regardless of all the other considerations that we put out on the table. So, Dave, what did you think of Geralt? Tell us who he is for you and what your opinion was of him. Well, I I like Geralt. He's, you know... My brain is failing me. Uh, Give me a moment to collect my thoughts, if you will. All right, Roy. And then Geralt, as you said earlier, he's he's the man's man. He he's a he's a badass monster monster hunter in the low fantasy world that for somehow apparently. I've never read the books, but apparently he's known all over the world because he rescued a king's daughter from a curse, and he—he's an extreme—he's a—he's extremely famous monster, witcher as as far as his world is concerned. And he has the uh, nickname of the White Wolf because the ritual that it takes to, for one to become a witcher. Um, 
it, whenever, according to the story, when when one becomes a witcher, there's it's an involved ritual that it grants them otherworldly human strength and speed and grace and whatnot. And sometimes it has weird side effects, like turned uh, Geralt's hair white was one of the things it did for him. And when when it comes to Geralt, I I enjoyed playing him thoroughly. His reactions to the choices you make and whatnot are really spot on, and um, I think that's one thing that really one thing that really helps playing him versus playing a game like Mass Effect, for example, is that when you're making the choices in the dialogue system for Mass Effect, it gives you. Um, a general response of what it's going to be, and you can it could it gives you a general whether or not it's going to be a good or bad guy response, and but you don't really quite know what the character is going to say, and it could be something totally that you totally didn't intend to do. Well, one thing I like about the Witcher's dialogue is that it completely spills it out what your character's about to, what you're about to have Geralt say. And he pretty much reads the dialogue you type out or you um, you chose, and then it goes from there. So you have complete and utter freedom about what it is. You know exactly what he's going to do, and he's a very enjoyable character to play. He's not he's not the overly good guy that wants to save everyone. You could have him. You could make him to be a total douche if you want. <laughs> But he also lives within his world, and you can also make him to be one rifle horny bastard if you want to. As you mentioned, you can seduce a whole lot of creatures. Of and then you could you can also choose to make him as as a good guy that's as self righteous as one can be in in the world, the confines of his world. He, he's a thoroughly well thought out character. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion, Dave? Uh, I don't have too much to add to that now that I think about it. It's just, you know, I, I like, you know, Geralt, but, you know, I, you know, I remember playing him as, you know, he's not exactly the greatest person in the world, but generally, like, he's not, he's not like a sociopath either. He's, you know, he's, Generally, uh, generally he's uh, uh, brain failing me again. But you know, much like the world he's in, he's gray and he's very human. And you know, I think that that's it's uh, you know, it's it's tempting for RPGs with choices to allow us to essentially create characters that are above like humans because we you know always have those idealized choices but again the world and the grayness of the design seeps into Geralt himself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and and that's that's the thing he's he's a deep he's 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 a deep he's a man's man he he I mean a lot of times like Roy was saying you kind of make the decision as far as where he where, is he uh, is he kind of sort of a nice guy or is he uh, kind of a uh, kind of a jerk 
is really kind of you, you do have this range you can play him in but he's he's at the end of the day he's the character from the book um he's definitely got a certain attitude and a certain quality to him that <laughs> that is that is him and, and it's just something you just again i can't emphasize this enough but you just don't see it really a whole lot in games these days and you kind of see it sometimes in first person shooters the guy who won't uh put up with anything and he shoots everything down Geralt's deeper than that but he's got that attitude. I remember that one scene where he drops down into the sewer. Um, I can't even remember what that quest was about. I just remember him. Uh, he had to drop. To, he had to go down to the sewer, take care of some business. I don't think it was something he really wanted to do, but that's what he had to do in order to get his freedom or whatnot. And the way he drops down to that sewer and just picks himself back up and pulls out his sword, I mean, just the way he handles himself says, "Yeah, I mean business." <laughs> The way he handles himself with the women, the way he takes care of the things out there. He's kind of like a Clint Eastwood of, of RPGs, but it's presented in a, a way that he's still complex. He's still got a little bit of a softer side to him. He, he cares about people, even though the way he expressed it isn't always very elaborate. <laughs> I mean, he's a typical, you know, kind of a typical good type of dude, though, uh, you know, depending on how you play him, he can, he certainly doesn't mind bending and breaking a few rules of the law or morality um, to do what he wants or to get his way or to cut to the chase or whatever have you. Um, if he needs to, you know, threaten somebody or even slit their throat to get what he wants, he'll do it. So it's definitely a deeper character than what you'll see in a lot of games. It definitely borders between uh, between uh, I won't want to won't say evil, but he's definitely not exactly your goody two shoes guy either. He does what he wants to meet his ends. Most of those ends are what are considered good <laughs> because he's trying for the most part to help people out. But his methods are certainly going to be questionable in the, in the sight of some people. So well, well, I think um, if you were creating a character and say, like, uh, for those that know about the D and D system, I, I think you would classify him as a chaotic good character. Oh, I wouldn't even do that. <laughs> or he, he, I think he, 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 I think on the general sense, he, he fall, he fell, he falls within that lawful evil to chaotic oh, good character. I would if I was using the D and D nine nine. Uh, nine alignment system or whatnot, I would actually throw him somewhere between neutral and neutral good. Because a, a lot of times he kind of he does what he wants. And whether that comes across as selfless or selfish, I guess is there's a little bit of wiggle room for the player character to play him somewhere between possibly borderline chaotic good and neutral but neutral good I think is a better description. Uh, you know, all the way over to uh, maybe even neutral evil. And evil isn't even a dark, sinister evil, especially in the neutral context. It's more of somebody who's selfish and looks out for themselves. And that's Geralt. It, you know, I mean, again, it depends on how you play him, but if he wants to go, you know, if he wants to go sleep with another woman, he doesn't think twice about it. If he, you know, if, some, if he's going out and some people get in his way and they look at him the wrong way, he, he might beat him up a bit. He may not slit their throat or something, but if somebody gets in the way of what he wants... Yeah, <laughs> but maybe maybe chaotic good. I guess we all have a different look on him. Overall, he's a, I think he's a likable guy. I think it's a really really great character. Personally, I enjoy playing it very very much. I think it was a breath of fresh air to all the other little 
goody two shoe characters I played over the over the years, but not not so evil or so selfish that you absolutely can't connect with the guy. There's a few things where I was like, eh, that's a little too strong for me. I wouldn't have done that. But um, overall, a very likable dude. So um, let's talk about let's let's give this our final review, guys. Give you each sixty seconds to wrap this up and either sell or deter our vast audience from buying the Witcher Enhanced Edition, which actually it's now the Witcher Enhanced Edition Director's Cut, uh, which is available on Steam for $19.99. I I don't know if there's a difference between the Enhanced Edition and the Enhanced Edition Director's Cut. The Director's Cut, the Enhanced Edition Director's Cut has the nudity patch already installed. Oh, there you go. What else do you need to know? Um, (laughs) Go out and buy it today. Um, Anywho, so let's start with Mr. Roy. Roy, wrap this up in a 60-second soundbite. What should people do with The Witcher if they haven't played it already? The people need to go out and buy this game. If, if you're the type of person, if you've played semi-open world, if you played open world games like Oblivion before, and you play games like Dragon Age, where you love the choices in a game that you get in Dragon Age and the open worldness that you get in Oblivion... The Witcher melds those two to a perfect degree. It, it, its story is definitely top-notch among Western RPGs. I can't think of any game that tops it. There are some people that have a nostalgia factor that might say Baldur's Gate 2 is better, but I'd, I would say overall on the story department, The Witcher wins hands down. You could debate somewhat on gameplay, but ultimately, if you haven't played The Witcher and and you haven't bought it and you... And if you're on the fence for it, you need to jump onto the side of the fence that lends to buying it. <laughs> and, and, oh, one little sidebar I forgot to mention real fast when we were talking about the combat and stuff. The Witcher allows you to pick the difficulty level, and it clearly tells you at the beginning of the game when you pick easy, medium, or hard, that picking hard means you're going to have to really get into the potion system and be careful about your timing. Uh, picking easy, on the other hand, means you've got a pretty much laid-back pace. So if you try the battle system, you don't like it, just to play again on easy, no big deal, and enjoy the story. Dave, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, obviously, I would consider it a buy, and I I think that it it feels more I don't want to I guess connected or cohesive than a lot of Western RPGs I play, where you know. They're they're open, but one part does not feel particularly connected to the next part. It's just you went to these in that order, and I just think that uh, the overall, uh, both story and gameplay wise, it's one of the strongest ones I played. Like last year, I picked it up because I needed something to distract me because I was going insane waiting for Mass Effect Two, and The Witcher. Actually, you know, it was somehow able to hold my attention even, you know, I was, I didn't just forget about it when Mass Effect 2 came out. I still wanted to play it because it was, it, I, I think it says something that if, if anyone here knew me as about how much I had been hyped for that game, the fact that it was able to keep my attention during that period is really quite a feat. And I guess that's a little, bit more of a personal anecdote rather than a proper endorsement, but it stands out to me. And I would say that, you know, the 
the purpose of the PC pit stop and the reason why it was pushed so hard to get this to a monthly feature where it's at now is to highlight those gems of RPG goodness that's found on the PC that maybe people have overlooked or is just really, really good. The Witcher epitomizes the spirit of PC of, of the PC pit stop. It is just an absolutely fabulous PC style uh, RPG. It's also very Western style, like most PC RPGs. But it's just done in such a way that I can't see many people not really liking this. Yeah, the combat kind of stumbles a bit. There's some inner interaction control issues or whatever have you. But at the end of the day, the story and the dialogue absolutely wins this jam over. And even if you just play through on easy to get through the combat, just so you can get through the story, I, I highly, absolutely recommend that if you have not done so, run, don't walk, <laughs> to steampower.com, buy this guy, put him on your Steam account, download him, and, and start playing and enjoying this, this game today because it's absolutely, absolutely fabulous. And, hey, it's spawning a sequel, right, Roy? We're getting The Witcher 2 eventually? I think it's yeah, coming I out believe, this year. I'm, I believe it comes out at the end of May. Yeah, so find out what all the hype's about. Find out why this little RPG from, where was it from, Germany or some? Gosh darn. Poland. Poland, oh, that's even smaller. Uh, you know, find, find out how this small little RPG uh, from CD Projekt has gotten so much attention and praise to the point where they're making a sequel and they're going to bring the sequel out on consoles from what I understand as well. Um, go back and check this this game out. You won't be disappointed. And we'll be right back after this musical section. Speaking of the Witcher soundtrack, we're going to let you enjoy some music and we'll be right back to wrap a few things up. final lap here, which we'll try to keep brief. Um, as always, we just want to remind everybody um, that you can write your comments on the boards. We haven't actually got any comments just yet on the last show we just did because I edited it so late that it's probably just went up if it's up already, it probably was just today. <laughs> so I have no comments to read from the last show, which was about Luminous Arc. Um, but hopefully we'll get those up soon. We definitely want to hear your comments as how they pertain to how you like the different layout of the show. We split Luminous. Uh, so this month we have Luminous Arc in one show. We put Blast from the Recent Past and PC Pit Stop in this show that you just heard. And then the next show will be about Pokemon. So we're doing three shows a month instead of two by separating some of these guys out. So let us know what you think about the new format and, and whatnot. Let us know how that works for you. Um, as a reminder, you can always do an audio review on any game that you play that's more than two years old. We'll be happy to put on show. Uh, it can be between two and four minutes. Record that in MP3 format. Email it to me. Of course, if you need help recording that, you can always look me up on Skype. Uh, my nickname's JC Servant and the number seven. Message me, and I'll get you on a Skype call, and I'll talk you through the process. 
It's much easier than going back and forth on emails because it's kind of a little detailed. Um, but really, it's not. Uh, really, it's all about downloading Audacity and make sure you have a proper headset. Um, but I can help you out with that because there are a few steps involved. Um, you may also write reviews uh, to me at jcservant at rpgamer.com. And it may be read at the end of the show. We love to read mostly well-written <laughs> reviews about lesser-known um, backtrack gems, so games that are older than two years old. I want to thank Mr. Uh, Roy for helping me out throughout this whole show tonight. Thank you so much, Mr. Roy. Because I'm just such a peach. Would and you like? If you ha- and if you haven't, you definitely need to check out the RPG Sanctum. Where can they find that at, Roy? At rpgrpgamer.com, as always. As, as with this lovely show. Mr. Dave, uh, thanks for hanging on with us and doing The Witcher. Appreciate that. I sure do wish I could have said more because I felt kind of useless. <laughs> there will be many opportunities in the future, my friend. Um, and uh, to you, our audience, we thank you for putting up with us and listening to RPG Backtrack. As always, you are the reason we do this. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us on twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash RP Gamer. And of course, I kind of should mention this, but if you like what you hear, leave us a little comment or something on iTunes or rating or whatever they're called. Uh, Mr. Miki tells me that does wonders for us. And as always, you can listen to our previous podcasts as well as our two sister shows, RPG Cast and RPG Sanctum, at rpgamer.com. Thank you so much, and enjoy these final tunes from The Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> 